0: Acts chapter 1, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this morning I want to talk about a patience required, a promise made, a power bestowed, and a probing question. Say it one more time, a patience required, a promise made, a power bestowed, and a probing question. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity once again to, to be here this morning to look at your word, Lord, to be reminded of the truth through song, the challenge even through song, Lord, to seek your face. I pray, God, that we might make that our earnest endeavor. I pray, Lord, that as we continue in our study of Acts, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts that we might understand the importance of the Holy Spirit and the work of it, the work that it has in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would depend on it. Work through it. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just by way of review, in verses 1 through 3, it says, I wrote the first narrative of Theophilus. But all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given orders through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Then verses 4 and 5, as we continue the new text, it says, While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As we start thinking about these things that are written in the Word of God here, by way of introduction, there are several things I want to highlight, and we're going to be kind of jumping around just a little bit in the introduction here to kind of lay a foundation. But he's given them some instruction as he is still with them, and as it goes back to verse one about all that Jesus began to do and teach, this process of work that Jesus Christ had begun, and He's while He's still with them, and we know that just a short time from now He is going to be ascending into heaven. But for these few moments, for these couple uh, moments in time, He's still together with His disciples. And so, to kind of pick that up, uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Luke chapter twenty-four just back a few pages, Luke chapter 24. And I want to begin reading down to verse 36. It talks about in the beginning there that he had arisen, and after he had arisen, he had uh, shown himself to many people. In verse 36 it says, And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified at... And thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That I, it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them to his hand, showed him them his hands and feet. But while they were still or, were amazed and unbelieving, because of their joy, he asked them do you have anything here to eat? so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in in their presence and then he told them these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures isn't that amazing? here it is he had been crucified, he was risen and he's got these this moment in time that he's still spending with his disciples. And he said, listen, these things that I've been talking about, they have to be fulfilled. And he opens their minds so that they can continue to understand everything that he was saying to them. In verse 46, he's also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things and look i am sending you what my father promised as for you stay in the city until you are empowered from on high so he's talking about this promise that would be given to them why because he was soon leaving this earth and as they were leaving as he was leaving these disciples that he had been talking to that he'd been training Uh, This work that he began to do and to teach, it had to be fulfilled. It had to carry on in, in his absence. And then it says, verse 50, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple complex praising God. So he's talking about them, he says, you're going to need the promise, and you're going to have to tarry here until that promise comes upon you. And then over in John chapter 14, back over to the right a few pages, John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. And then down to verse 25 and verse 26, he continues that and he says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So he's talking about this Holy Spirit, this promise, this Comforter, this Counselor that is going to come, and he says, "Don't do anything until I get to the, till the this Holy Spirit comes upon you." So first of all, we see right away in Acts chapter four, or chapter chapter one verse four, that there, there's a patience required. Wait here until the promise comes. There's a couple key words here and a key thoughts here. First of all, is the word Counselor, and he said this Counselor was would what be with you forever. As a child of God, we know that God's word teaches us that at that moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives, right? And it says in 1 Corinthians, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, so we know that our body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, so he's with us, the Spirit of truth, he said it remains in you, will be in you, and he says I will not leave you as orphans. But he says something here that I thought was interesting. And this patience that is required. He says, don't leave. Chapter 1, verse 4. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. You say, well, what is so significant about that? This is what's significant. You can't go out and do what I've told you to do unless the Holy Spirit go with you. Have you ever found that to be true in your lives as believers? There's all kinds of things that we try to do in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. And oftentimes we find out that we will fail. But God's Word reminds us here, even as He reminded the disciples who had been with Jesus. He says, don't do anything until the Spirit comes upon you. You will need Him. So it's important that they not leave. Why? Because there would be some things that they would need to recall. We say, well, how in the world do you know that? Because in John chapter 14, verse 26, he says, here is the comforter who will remind you of all the things that I have taught you. So therefore, as you are going about, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to remind you of some things that you know. And not only that, there will be some things that they needed to do, and we find that out in verse 1. Because he says, I wrote to the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then verse 8 uh, ye shall be my witnesses. So there were some things that they needed to do, so they're going to need to remember how to do it, and the power to do it would come through the Holy Spirit. So as a reminder to all of us is that we can't do it apart from God working in us, from His Holy Spirit empowering us to do what He's asked us to do. But there are times that we want to do it in our own strength, our own flesh, our own might, our own wisdom. And God is saying, just wait a minute. You can't do this alone. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You need the Holy Spirit. But let's clear up the confusion here just for a moment. Actually, before we do that, he not only says there would be some things they need to recall, there would be some things that they needed to do. What was that? Well, in Matthew chapter 29, toward the end of the chapter there, Matthew chapter 29, or excuse me, 28. If you got 29, you've got the wrong Bible. 28, me too, by the way. 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He asks this question, how can he be with us if he's ascending? Through the Holy Spirit that is promised. Because he indwells us. He says the world can't see him because they don't know him. But you can see him, or you can know him because he lives within you, and he'll be with you forever, and he's not going to depart from you. And then in in Mark chapter 16, I love this passage as well. Matthew, Mark chapter 16, and verses 15 and 16. He says, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there's an amazing job that he left us to do. And the disciples were to to carry on that work. But let's clear up the confusion here, because he goes on to say in chapter 1, verse 5, or actually verse 4 here, it says, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. And this, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this promise comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to be coming upon them. And verse 6, he says, So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So there's this idea here. You know, they're asking, Lord, are, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Are, 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 is this a time period that you're going to come set up your kingdom? And the disciples were just a little bit confused here. They were hopeful that the Messiah would rise and establish his earthly kingdom. You say, 'Well, well, how do you know that? In Luke chapter twenty four, and remember, he said Acts is a is a lot of a continuation of the book of of Book of Luke. But in chapter twenty four, in verse twenty one, he says this. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it was the third day since these things happened. So they were versed in the idea that the Messiah would come and that he would die and they would be buried but that he would be risen again the third day. So they're looking at Jesus as, well, wait a minute, if you're risen from the dead, are you about to establish your kingdom here on earth? So possibly the disciples were referencing what they thought would happen, what maybe has been taught in the Old Testament. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, I find this interesting, I don't have time to read the entire chapter, but in Ezekiel chapter 36, in beginning with verse 16, there is talk about restoring the people of Israel here with the promised Holy Spirit. So, it says in verse 16, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, while the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it with their conduct and actions. Their their behavior before me was like uh, menstrual impurity, so I poured out my wrath on them because of the blood they had shed on the land, and because they had defiled it with their idols, I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered among the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and actions. And when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said about them, they are the people. These are the people of Yahweh. Yet they had to leave his land in exile. Then I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. So all these things that they had done, and all of a sudden he comes down uh, in the middle of it, down to verse 27, and he says, "I will place my spirit within the heart of, uh, my spirit within you." And cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances, then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it plentiful, and make the bring, um, and will not bring famine on you. So he's, there's this idea here that when Jesus Christ would come, and he would go through what he all that was prophesied, he would die on a cross, and he would be buried. Then he would rise again. And all of a sudden, now the Spirit was going to come upon them. Is this that time? They were wondering. And in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, it continues that this idea that as soon as Jesus Christ would rise, then the Spirit would come. And they're wondering, is this that time that Jesus Christ would establish his earthly kingdom? So they were a little bit confused. But it wasn't just them, it it was also the Pharisees. In fact, if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, you'll find that even the Pharisees wondered if this might be the time. In Luke chapter 17, in beginning of verse 20, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, Look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. Then he told his disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see you uh, one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, look there or look here. Don't follow or run after them. See, they were looking for something that they could see. Something that uh, maybe they could reach out and touch. Something that was observable in front of them. The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable, he said. Why? Because the kingdom of God is where God rules in the hearts of his children, the saved. That's where the kingdom of God is. And this is interesting here. As you see this in God's word as it unfolds, there are many who wonder, well, how does this happen? It's an amazing thing. He's, he says in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This was not something that they could reach out and see and touch and feel and observe. It was in their hearts. And he says, unless the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes down to verse 5. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be just an amazing thing if you could look out and see man, that person's a child of God. Oh, that person's not. We need to pray with him and encourage him. But you know what? We can't do that. Only God knows that. It's not always something we can see. But they were looking for something they could see. And they were a bit confused. You see, Jesus never denied that he would be setting up a kingdom for his millennial reign. But he did not reveal the when of his kingdom. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 7, He says, so he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So he makes it very clear as these disciples were asking him, is this the time? No, you don't, that's not for you to know. Isn't it like us, though, as God's children, we want to know everything? Isn't that amazing? Come on, let's be honest. Isn't there a lot of things you want to know? Sometimes you just kind of wish the people around you didn't want to know so much. Man, they're nosy. Get out of my business. But it's like us as humans to want to know everything. And these disciples that were walking with Jesus, they just wanted to know. They're a little bit confused. Is this what's going to happen? It's not for you to know the times. And just by the way, it's not going to be observable because God's kingdom is in our hearts. So Jesus did never denied that he had set up a kingdom, a millennial reign, but. He never did reveal the wind. So there is a patience that is required. You need to just be patient. You stay here until the Spirit comes upon you. But then there's a promise made. What's the promise? That the Spirit will be given. In fact, we see this in Acts 1, verse 5. First of all, he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 8, very familiar. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this word power is an interesting word and you've probably heard this before. Nothing new under the sun, but it's the Greek word dunamis or dynamite. He said this, this power is going to be given to you. But you know, he says it is a way that's going to be given through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in an The power only comes when you're working through the Spirit. And how often do we find that when we operate in the flesh, you don't have the power? Um, We're reminded often of just how desperate we are, how weak we are, how feeble we are, apart from God working in and through us. But this power, this dunamis, this dynamite, this divine power, and it's only when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he is filling you, In John chapter 14, as we talked about, um, this power of the Holy Spirit that would be in you, this comforter would be there. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. But in chapter 14, verse 16, just let me read that again. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you and he said, I'll not leave you as orphans, I am coming to you. So we have this promise that when the Holy Spirit comes, and then once he enters us, he'll never leave. And I'm so thankful that I have eternal security. I'm so thankful for the fact that I don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit leaving me. That his Spirit indwells me as his child. But he doesn't stop there. In chapter 16, beginning with verse 5, he says, But now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you, and, and not one of you asked me. Where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. He makes it very clear. He says, I have to go away. But the reality of it is my spirit will remain. And it's the spirit that you need to carry on the work that he had begun to do and to teach. So it's through the spirits leaving that this work would take place. Then he goes on in verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will also declare to you what is to come. For he will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And everything the Father has is mine. That is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So this Holy Spirit that he is leaving, and is promised to those who are there. But then, not only did he say patience that would be required, uh, uh, a promise that would be made of the Holy Spirit, but then he delivers it. Power bestowed. The Holy Spirit coming upon you to empower you. So, a power bestowed. Well, what is the purpose of this? Once again, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, what is the purpose? Jesus says, You'll be witnesses. Do you know what a witness is? It's really simple. A witness testifies of something he has knowledge of. Testifies of something he has knowledge of. And as a child of God, I hope that we have knowledge of something spectacular that has taken place in our lives. Amen? We ought to have uh, a firsthand knowledge of something that has taken place. In fact, at the end of our Bibles, right, before the, right near the end, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children... I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. We have something. We have, we, have been, we have been pardoned. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And I hope that we have knowledge of that. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And remember now, let's go back just a couple of verses. He says, you wait here until the, until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And once you have the Holy Spirit come upon you, now you have the power to do what I've asked you to do, not before. You say, well, Pastor, I just I, I don't know if I'm a very good witness. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. You have the Holy Spirit. And 2 Timothy reminds you, he says I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You have what it takes to do what God has called you to do, as long as you do it through the Spirit. You can't do it in and of yourselves. But he says, I've given you the power, this dynamite, this divine, miraculous power to do what I've asked you to do. And then he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and I, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard all the breakdowns of what this means. You know, our Jerusalem is right here in Henrietta. It's where you live, right? And then, you know, Judea and Samaria is our county and our state. And then Samaria is to the United States, and they are all other... You know what? I've heard a million ways of it breaking down. Maybe you have too, but here's the deal. I like what Johnny Hunt said of this. He said, we start in the neighborhoods and we work our way to the nations locally and globally. That's what it really comes down to. Where's your sphere of influence? Where's your circle of people that God has put you in the midst of? You know, every day we come across different people groups that we're associated with, don't we? Uh, How many of you have been going to Wegmans for quite some time to get your groceries? Come on now, I'll be honest. Maybe you're an Aldi's fan, maybe you're a Walmart fan, maybe you're, you know, right price, whatever it is. But wherever you go on a regular basis, you get to know those familiar faces, don't you? You do. You see, there's a couple people that I talk to at Wegmans that I haven't seen them lately. I'm wondering where they're at. Why? Because I've seen them over and over, year after year. And you have too. There's certain people that you know when you walk through the door. You know like, like that guy that does security at night at Wegmans? Every time we walk by, we talk, I haven't seen him the last couple weeks. Or that young manager that uh, you know is always running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I haven't seen him lately. I wonder where he's at. Is he still there? Ask ask Michael Slatter. is he still there? He goes, Oh yeah, he's there. You know, why? Because you get to know them. They're faces that, that you see on a regular basis. What's your sphere of influence? Who's in your circle of acquaintances? Who's in your circle of people you see? See, we all have a, a circle of influence, maybe, that's in our neighborhood. It's that you know, guy who lives on this side, the guy that lives on that side, and the guy that lives behind us, so we know those three people. Or at work, it's this person, this person, and this person that I kind of usually talk to when I have a moment. Or at the grocery store, it's this guy and this guy, because I always talk to them when I walk through the door. I wave at them, I talk to them. But who's in your circle of influence? Who's the, those acquaintances that God has given to you? But I like what he says here we start in our neighborhoods and we work our way to the nations locally then globally you figure out the Jerusalem, the Judea, Samaria the utter, uttermost parts other people talk about the fact that we we start with those people that we know and love we, th- we talk about those people that we understand we speak their language they speak ours that's a plus we understand each other because we live underneath the same sky You know. Who are the people that God has placed around us? God says, I've given you power to be my witnesses. You see, oftentimes we don't want to take that step, though, because we're not afraid what they're gonna we're, not, we're afraid of what they're gonna say, what they're gonna think. And what if I say something and I have to still see them week after week? What will they say? Maybe one, quite possibly they might say, Why didn't you ever tell me? Why didn't you ever say anything? don't know. We have to look for those opportunities, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Dr. Jo- Doctor Oswald J. Smith said, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. Remember that phrase? The light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. This was and is still God's plan for evangelizing the world. And it's amazing, as I've said oftentimes, there was no satellite TV, no airplanes, no cars. No internet. What did they do without Facebook in Bible days? Dude, you're going to see this miracle Jesus just did. Tweet, 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 you know. Instagram, I'm going to show the, you know, walking through the, you know, the red scene, it's part of, you're going to tweet this one on, or, or put this on Instagram or Snapchat. Didn't have it. How did the word get out? Remind me. How did the word get out? What? Witnesses testifying of something they had knowledge of. No Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook, no internet, no TV. It was people speaking. There was a strategy. Someone said they had two feet and one mouth. I think it's probably still a good strategy. Amen. Two feet, one mouth. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 gives us the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that as the Great Commission. But what's the Great Commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and mind, your strength. But what's he say here? He says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my The basis for the Great Commission is the Great Commandment. And if I don't observe the Great Commandment, I'll never follow the Great Commission. Does that make sense? I'll never follow someone I don't love. And it's still a simple strategy. And you have the power to do this if you have the Holy Spirit living within you. If you would, take your Bibles and turn back a few chapters to the book of John, John chapter 4. Let me give you a simple strategy. I love this. In John chapter 4, I want to begin reading with verse 5. Remember, this is a story where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. He says in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 5, he says this So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the prof- property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus, and you know it's Jesus because the words are in red, right? Give me a drink. It's a joke for some of you. Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask of a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who is saying, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and a well's deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to order water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. "'You have correctly said, I don't have a husband,' Jesus said, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.' "'Sir,' the woman replied, "'I see that you are a prophet. "'Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, "'yet, yet uh, you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem.' "'And Jesus told her, "'Believe me, woman, an hour is coming "'when you will worship the Father "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yet the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I am he. The one speaking to you. Can you imagine just for a moment being there at that moment? But here's an interesting thing that you see take place in this strategy, if you want to call it that. Jesus was thirsty. Here's another woman coming to get him water. They had something in common. You know, I found in oftentimes when I'm out and about and conversations about Jesus Christ come up and about God and about church and so forth, it's usually something in common that creates, sparks a conversation. And here it is. The water for these two was the common denominator. And here's what happens as we go on. Look at verse 39. Now verse 39 says, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Oh, wait a minute, let me go back. Verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, why do you want, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Now look at verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said And when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. What made the difference? Here's a woman who became a witness of something she had knowledge of. There was a point of reference. There was a point of interest between two people. It was the water. And he says, if you take this water, you'll never thirst again. You say, well, before she could be an effective witness, she had to go to Bible college for four years, right? I mean, she had to go through the you know, Jerusalem Baptist Bible Institute and get the training she needed first, right? No, she simply told someone else what she had knowledge of. She simply shared with someone else what happened to her. Now here's the difference with a lot of us. How many would like to be a multi-gazillionaire? Come on, be honest. I mean, this far surpasses the 1.5 billion that just happened in the lotto. Multi-gazillionaire. I don't even know if there is such a thing. But let's just pretend there is for a minute. Multi-gazillionaire. That's a lot of bucks. It would be amazing that if you were a multi-gazillionaire, you could hypothetically say, man, if I was, I would give so much of it away. And none that sounds so good, so pious. I mean, yeah, a million dollars, hey, a million dollars, man. Yeah, take three. I don't care. I got, I got plenty. Just take it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, what? You need, oh, sure. Your car's rusted? I hate rust. Here's enough. Here, here, here's 60 grand. Go get a Lexus, man. Just go ahead. Oh, your house is in poor shape? Man, just bulldoze down. Here's two million. Go build a new one that were me, if I were a multi-gazillionaire, that's what I would do. Anybody anybody like that? Right. We would all do that, right? Because all of us would be so kind with everything we have. In fact, we would give it all away because that's just who we are, right? But here's the problem. I can't give you a new car. I can't buy you a new house. I I can't do anything because I'm not a gazillionaire. See, I will never give away what I don't if we do have it, we're supposed to give it away. Isn't that awesome? You see, if we have knowledge of something that has taken place, that's all this woman at the well did. See, she simply became a witness of the information that she had. She simply told someone else what happened to her. That was it. In fact, really nothing else mattered at the moment. She was so awestruck by who this man was and what he had said to her that she actually ran off and left her water pots there. And she went off and told the men of the city, hey, you got to meet this guy who told everything that was about me. She simply told someone else what happened to her. That's all that mattered. And it says the men of the city believed, or some of them believed, But it came to a point where they didn't believe because of what she said. They began to believe because of what they heard for themselves. You see, there's times that we'll say something, and they might, okay, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but when Jesus Christ enters the life, it changes everything. But we'll never give away what we don't have. We cannot be a witness of something that we can't, that we don't have the information of, knowledge of. But here's the deal. You have the Holy Spirit living within you as a child of God. You have what it takes to go out and tell someone else what has happened to you if you know Jesus Christ. Something they had in common, and every day we come into contact with people that we have things in common with. And the question is are we going to be a witness? Take the opportunities that God gives us. Acts 1 8 says, You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come upon you. And not, well, if it feels right, when the time is good, if it's convenient, go be witnesses. That ought to challenge every one of us. We've been talking about this the last couple months. You see, it's not about a church program. Let me just say that. It's not a church program you guys understand that? It's not about a program. It's a process. You're out and about, because guess what? The church, that's you and I, it's not about the walls, the roof, and what this building looks like. The church goes to work. The church goes to school. The church goes to Wegmans, or Walmart, or Wright Price, or whatever it is. The church goes, talks to the neighbor next door. The church needs to be the church and give testimony of what you have knowledge of. But here's the thing that was happening. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 just for a moment. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and I like what Johnny Hunt says. We start in our neighborhoods and we work our way to the nations. But then here's what happened. Verse 9. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going there, going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Twice. It says verse 9 through 11, they were watching. And then he says, they were gazing. I mean, they're standing around and saying, hey, did you, did you see what I just saw? Jesus is just, he was just there and now he's gone. Can you imagine being there? That would be awesome. You're watching them. And you're, I mean, for a moment there, you remember, just two verses, he's, while he's still with them. He was, he, was, he was just standing there. And all of a sudden, this cloud comes and takes him away. But really, when he was taken away, remember he said in John, he says, I have to go, but I'm going to not leave you as orphans. I'm leaving you the Spirit so that you can continue the work that I've started. And then these two men say, why are you just gazing? What? Whoa, whoa, what? whoa, snap out of it, guys. Whoa, come back to reality. Come back to Earth here. We've got work to do. Don't you love that? Sometimes we just need to snap back into reality. We're kind of too busy watching and gazing. And yeah, we get what's going on, but we've got to get back to the task, right? I'm just telling you, if they would have had the label ADHD when I was in third grade, I probably would have had the label. That hadn't come out yet, I don't think. Squirrel! Right? That's what's going on here. They're still watching what's going on over here. He's trying to draw them back to this point and stay on task and get focused again. I think sometimes we need that as a church. We need to get back on task. There are so many things as a church that we can do that are in and of themselves good things. Would you agree? I mean, when you bring a meal to someone, is that a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you help someone who's struggling, yeah, that's a good thing. You know, when someone's really hurting, you go pray them and encourage them, yeah, that's a good thing. But sometimes we get wrapped up in doing good things and not the best things. And I'm not telling you to, to stop doing those things. But sometimes we get comfortable doing the things that we are comfortable doing. You see, witnessing, that's, you know, that's, that, you know, he's really good at that. I'll kind of let him have that job. Teaching, well, that you know he's a good teacher. I'm going I'm to let him have that job. Oh, Sunday school teacher? Yeah, dude, she is so good at that in the nursery. You know, aunt, that's her job. We kind of get this idea that certain people can do Only certain people can do certain things. Let's not be forgetful of the fact that God wants to use all of us. And he's going to use us in various ways. And that's a good thing. But let's not forget the best things either. And sometimes as a church, we're kind of gazing out there, watching what's going on, and somebody's like, oh, oh get back here, oh, come on, come on, get your, get your focus back here. You know what's sad reality in churches across America today? Let me just tell you a couple things. Churches are closing the doors all across America. Some of them are closing, there'll be two or three smaller churches, and they kind of join an area and make one bigger one, just so they can keep the doors open. You know what that's called? Transfer growth. It's not really growth. See, no one's getting saved, no one's getting baptized, no one's becoming a member of the church, and nobody's kind of getting involved. They just went from worshiping over there to worshiping over here. And that happens all the time. What about us getting back to seeing people saved again? Asking God to open up doors that we can't open. And guess what? You can't open them apart from the Holy Spirit's leading and working. But when God opens that door, and you find a point of interest, a point of reference where two people can relate to each other, and God begins to stir in our heart a conversation. Someone's going through a difficulty, and you say, you know what, I, I understand what you're going through, but it wouldn't have been for the Holy Spirit. If it weren't have been for God working in my life, I don't know how to get through it. Well, what, what does God have to do with that? Oh, let me share with you. Just everyday conversations. Not a program. Just a process. Being a testimony, A witness. Testifying of something that you have knowledge of. If indeed Jesus Christ has touched your life, has affected your life, you have the ability to be a witness. Are you doing it? But you can't do it of yourself. You've got to have the Holy Spirit working in its It's only then will you have the power that you need to do it. And the results are up to God. God never called us to control the results, amen? We're just to be the witness. He takes care of the rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the reminder of your word and how it teaches us that we are to be patient he reminded the disciples just to wait here until the promised Holy Spirit would come. They couldn't go yet. They had to wait. And